0: Welcome to Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 126. Yeah, it's 126. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week we're going to be talking about a couple things. Uh, Before we get to the earnings discussion on the S&P, how earnings estimates have changed over time, certainly from when we saw them posted, gosh, I mean, February and March of 2020 and into the summer of 2020. They were really low. We've seen earnings estimates get ratcheted up, and what that sort of means for PEs and future PEs. We'll go over that. The other thing I wanted to go over is, you know, somebody asked me a question about uh, just the idea of this payment for order flow and investors not getting the best price, and um, and I said, you know, I, I I probably won't do an episode on that. Honestly, it would it would put most people to sleep, and but. You know, I'm reminded of something that happened on the show Fast Money. So I think there was someone on talking about how the spreads should be narrower, narrower, more narrow, if I can say that correctly. And by spreads, mean the bid and ask. So if it's bid 50 and it's ask 50.01, 50.01, it means the ask is $50.01 and the bid is $50. And so if you're selling at the market, theory, depending upon the number of shares, you should be able to get the bid. If you're buying at the market, you should be able to get the ask. Of course, you can put in a limit order for any price that you want. And if it's fillable, it's fillable. But you know, these people were on, and they were kind of making a big deal about the payment for order flow and how spreads need to narrow more. And if they did, I mean, and and so Guy Adami was on Fast Money. And one of the things he Pointed out is, and he's always on Fast Money. He's one of the, the regular uh, personalities on there. But I, I think he made a great point, and that is, do you know how much things are better now? Do you know how little the costs are? I mean, we have zero commissions. Do you know how narrow the spreads are now? I mean, they're essentially a penny wide in in most cases. For the majority, you know, you you do have smaller stocks with or less. Volume, you know, stocks to trade on exchanges that you have more of a wide bid or ask, but for most of the liquid stocks, uh, the the spreads are, are really tight right now. And he made the point of you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the spreads even on a you know a stock like 3M or Intel, you know, big stocks that trade a lot of volume. Well, stocks didn't trade in decimals. When decimalization happened, it sort of ushered in uh, the ability to to narrow spreads more. But stocks used to trade in fractions. In fact, I remember you had to always know the conversions between what a sixteenth was to decimals, what an eighth was, a quarter, five sixteenths. Uh, you know, all all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they would trade in in fractions. And not only did they trade in fractions, but they would also trade which, with a much wider bid-ask spread. In fact, I remember it wasn't that uncommon to have quarter-point spreads, half-point spreads, maybe even more. I mean, can you imagine today a stock like Apple, which essentially should have, in most cases, right, they're going to have like penny-wide spreads. It's very liquid, very big stock. But back then, even, you know, the mid to late 90s, you would have these very wide bid and ask spreads. Of course, you could always put a limit order in. But remember what I told you, if you're buying at the ask or selling at the bid, uh, depending upon the number of shares, you should be able to, at that time, get the trade off at those prices. So when you think about that, let's just look at the bid-ask situation. You've got big stocks back then used to trade in Quarter, half point wide, even more, some stocks are even more, uh, difference between the bid and the ask. And today, you know, big stocks, pretty much a penny wide. The other obvious one is that commissions. So, you know, commissions right now are, are essentially, well, not essentially, they're free. Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, a number of the other ones that have popped up. But yeah, commissions are Zero. They're zero, which means, you know, I mean, back in in even the late '90s, it would cost you know, if you're buying 100 shares, 200 shares, it might cost you 50 bucks, 75 bucks, 100 bucks if you're trading, you know, it, and back then it was sort of there used to be a formula, the number of shares and the and the dollar value of the transaction, uh, but it could get quite expensive. I mean, think about it if you were a a smaller investor and you said, Hey, you know, nowadays you put a hundred bucks into a stock, you just buy the stock. That's it. You buy the stock, it's in your account, and there's no commission. So if you want to sell it, you know, it goes up a tiny bit and you want to sell it, you get to realize that profit. Well, back then, imagine buying a fifty dollar stock and you pay fifty or seventy-five dollars or a hundred dollars in commissions. That stock has to go up quite a bit before you can even break even. And not to mention, if you were going to sell the stock, you get hit coming out of the stock as well. So I agree with Guy Dami, And I think a lot of investors, um, and, and maybe it's um, just not having seen that period in the 90s, but I think a lot of investors sort of worry about the wrong thing. And you know, without getting into the payment for order flow and all that stuff, you just got to understand that if you are buying a stock or selling a stock, if you have a price in mind that you don't want to sell it for lower or buy it for higher, and if you use a limit order, you're already saying, hey, this is the most I'm willing to pay. And if you're trading market orders and it's a very fast market, you know maybe that's a different thing. But I think it's it's never been better for individual investors. And I'd also say, I mean, some of the stuff that you all, I say you all, meaning, you know, if you're in retail, um, but, you know, mo- most investors have access to technology and statistics and different stuff. I mean, I, I hear people telling me what the, the delta, the gamma, the theta of options are nowadays. They're small investors. And why? Because on the platform, it simply has has all that available. Years ago, I can remember we had access on on the trading uh, group we had access to a Bloomberg machine and that's how I I would look up you know the option greeks like gammas and thetas and deltas and if you wanted to get time and sales look at you know level 2 quotes that was all on this on this Bloomberg machine those are quite expensive so yeah I mean it was it's it's much better nowadays I think and I think Investors and and that goes for retail and institutional as well. Much more technology access, much cheaper to to trade nowadays. And so I agree with Guy Damy. I think it's it's never been better. Oh, and one last thing on on that whole bit. Um, I expect someone to email me and say, "But what about this? What about that?" Uh, but I I do think there's there's an unbelievable benefit to being an investor nowadays, as opposed to the, you know, in the past. And, you know, here, here's one of the other things that people forget. A lot of times we look at maybe historical returns of the S&P 500, and we assume dividends reinvested. So we look at the appreciation and then the dividends as a total return. You know, people forget. I mean, right now, for no commission, you can buy a share of the SPY that essentially holds the entire S&P 500 index. And you can have dividends reinvested for free. But think back. It wasn't until I think it was the late 70s, early 80s, where Vanguard first came out with an index fund that mirrored the S&P 500. Prior to that, if you wanted to create an index or mirror the index, think about it. You'd have to go out and buy those 500 stocks. You pay a commission for each and every one of them, and it would not be cheap. And if you wanted to reinvest dividends, there was no automatic reinvestment of dividends back then. You would have to get the dividend and then take that dividend and then go ahead and purchase shares. And guess what? You couldn't buy fractional shares, certainly. So your cost, I mean, imagine, think about it this way. If let's say you, you bought 500 different stocks and the commission on average was about $50. It would cost you $25,000, 50 times 500, $25,000 in commissions just to get into all those stocks. And then any that, imagine you rebalanced or had to add. Um, I'm I'm just saying it's it's a lot better now than it ever was. Okay, let's talk about earnings. So normally when we think about earnings per share. You probably refer to an individual company. And so, company XYZ has a million shares outstanding. If they make, uh, I don't know, you know, ten dollars per share, that basically means their their net income uh, is on a million dollars. Ten dollars per share is ten million, right? And so, if the company, depending upon what the company is trading at, their price to earnings, you know, let's say on the on the company is. Uh, trading at $40. So 40 times a million shares outstanding is $40 million. We know they're earning $10 a share. So $10 on a million shares is $10 million in net income. So the market cap of $40 million, their net income of $10 million, they are trading at uh, a price-to-earnings ratio or P-E ratio of 4, meaning you're taking the, uh, uh, the 40 divided by the 10. So they're trading at 4 times that. Um, that, by the way, would be considered pretty low in most cases, right? But I'm just giving you an example so you kind of get on on the footing of what I'm talking about. But that's for individual stocks. And every individual stock typically has an analyst. Uh, I shouldn't say everyone. maybe there's some that don't. But let's say, you know, in the S&;P 500, for example, most of those going to have multiple analysts. Um, some stocks have more analysts covering them than than others. But they give their forecast, they give their estimates of earnings, and typically they give the estimates the next, you know, so where, what are we? We're in earnings season right now. And so, ap- you know, one of the things I'd urge you to do is keep an eye on, on things over the next couple of weeks, because every day before and after the market, you're going to see companies releasing their earnings. I think, what was it, Netflix was last week? I could be wrong. Uh, but that's, that's sort of your, your time where- you can get a look and see what the financials or the updated financials of a company are. And sometimes they make forward-looking statements. And the CEO goes on you know, a webcast and takes questions from analysts. But you also can have analyst estimates on the entire market. And so when we say the entire market, obviously, it could be the Wilshire 5000. It could be the NYSE. Uh, but the one that a lot of people, most people watch is the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 you might look at the Nasdaq, but the S and P 500 is sort of the core one that you would be looking at. And so, when you think about the S and P, it's trading what? What did the S and P finish on Friday? I think it finished, uh, you know, forty-four eleven. So forty-four eleven—that's what the index uh, closed at. And that, by the way, was—I think that was a new all-time high. Uh, I'd urge you to go back and listen to Jay and I's podcast uh, that we did where we found that markets, surprisingly, a good, a very high percentage of the time are within 3% of an all-time high. So, uh, and by the way, you know, listeners to this podcast know that our core idea of what we do with investing is the idea that you sort of buy the market and then you hedge. Um, and then, you know, I'm, none of this is meant uh, that I think the market's overvalued or undervalued. But I, I want to show you Things to look at, and and ways to sort of uh, you know keep an eye on things. Okay, so so the market is you know forty four eleven, right? So so how do you value the uh, the market as a whole? Like how would you know what a PE ratio is? Well, one of the things you can do is you can figure out and aggregate all of the the earnings for all the companies that are going to be in the S and P five hundred. And you can look and say, boil it down to a per share basis. And to give you an example, the estimates, and there's a range, uh, but I just pulled estimates, you know, probably around 195 to 200. And when I say 195 to 200, I'm saying $195 per share to $200 per share on the S&P, all right? So if you were trying to figure out what a PE ratio was or is on, let's say, the S&P 500 for all of fiscal 2021. And of course, we do have actual earnings for the first quarter. We don't have them for two, three, and four yet. You've got to have all the companies come out. But the way you would do that is take the 4411 divided by, uh, let's just you know say it's going to be 195. And so we're trading at 22.6 times, or PE ratio, uh, 26 or 22.6 times earnings on the S&P 500. Okay, so that's a way of looking at it, and I'll I'll talk a little about where that puts us. Actually, let's let's do that now. Let's talk a little about what that sort of means uh, with regards to you know where earnings are. And I pulled up J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets. If you if you haven't looked at that yet, if you Google that. You've got to you know register with your email. I'm not sure if it's it's only for the institutional investors or if anybody can get this. But they've got a ton of information they put out. And it's all free, uh, but they give you an example. You know, if we're at 22.6 PE, the 25-year average was 16 or is 16.71 times, according to the data in J.P. Morgan's. So does that mean that we're really overvalued and you can sell? You should sell now. I have no idea, right? Uh, sure you're you're above the twenty-five year average, but um, we've you know we've we've been above that average before. Um, do I think this is the uh, um, and by the way that that's based on a consensus. So JP Morgan all these firms have a different consensus. They their consensus for the next twelve months is two hundred and three dollars. Okay. But yeah, I mean we're we're obviously trading above the range. Uh, You know, we'll see what happens there. The interesting thing, though, when you go back to 2020, as I said, February and March of that year, earnings estimates came all the way down to $160 per share, Um, and I think some firms had it even less for 2021. And think about that: so 160, and now we have estimates, you know, around 200. Let's say 195, 200. Uh, In fact, JP Morgan has it 203 for the next 12 months. So that would include uh, the last three quarters of this year and the first quarter of next year. But that's quite a bit. And that's a good example of how analyst estimates can change over time. So even though that firms might think, okay, they're going to get $200 a share around for 2021, if things change, those estimates could change. They could go higher or lower. And if you're watching earnings, one of the things you want to see is, are companies beating estimates by a lot? And if so, by how much? What's the percent? Are they missing estimates by quite a bit? Uh, So you look at this, and you say, okay, well, we have uh, about $200 for 2021. For 2022, the estimate's uh, probably around $215 a share. And so a 4411 market. Divided by, uh, let's use 215. And that's trading about 20 and a half times earnings. All right. And then you go to 2023. Yeah, I think that's the year, 2023. And there, you know, not, not everybody has estimates that far out, uh, but it looks like, uh, you know, a few for, I think, is it uh, JP Morgan? No. Uh, yeah, actually, JP Morgan. I think they updated theirs. I saw on a, a MarketWatch article that they actually have 245 uh, for 2023, although I've seen other estimates, 230, 235. So let's use that, let's use 240. And then if you do 4411 divided by the 240, you're trading about 18.3 times forward 2023 earnings, right? So look, um, this is, earnings are one of, I mean, there's fundamentals, there's technicals, there's there's economic aspects. We're in the midst of uh, it looks like you know still dealing with COVID, and that that could have some headlines. But uh, we've seen earnings estimates rise, and but here's the thing: until you get the est- the actual earnings, you really don't know if the estimates are correct. And here's the other thing: are we certain that in 2023 that uh, you know we're gonna have the earnings right around 240. Absolutely not. If things and conditions change, you're going to see those, uh, um, you know, those levels change again. So, here is uh, here's a couple inside things too. Not inside, but just some some things to uh, to think about. So, earnings per share, which we said was the net income for. The company on a per share basis, and then we, we talked about the PE of the, the forward-looking PE, how many times earnings is a company trading? You know, when you look at earnings, what causes earnings to increase or decrease? Well, I mean, some of the main components are you have the margins, meaning the profit margins or net profit margins, meaning, you know, if you were selling something for a hundred dollars. And it costs you ninety dollars to, to make. Uh, you would say, you know, for every hundred dollars that you sell that, you make ten bucks. So your net profit margin is ten percent. Well, what if your cost came down, or you, you were able to charge more as a firm? Well, if your cost went down to eighty, selling it for a hundred, that's a twenty percent, uh, you know, net margin. So. It looks like so far, uh, if you look at the share of earnings per share growth in 2021, and this is as of it looks like July of uh, July 22nd, and it's worth noting is again we don't have the all the second quarter earnings. We're very early into earnings season, uh, but in 2021, earnings are up so far 59 percent. In 2020, they were down 22 percent. So. When you get that that downturn, obviously a lower, you know, you have the numerator denominator thing, right? Same thing we've been talking about with regards to inflation. But just looking at the numbers, if you look at uh, so far in twenty twenty one, margins are up forty six point eight percent. Revenue is up twelve point six percent or twelve point seven percent. And the other aspect of this, right? So revenue is important. So your margins, uh, what's your revenue? so revenues and input, and then share count. And when you think about growth of earnings per share, well, remember my initial example where we had, what did we say, 10 million in in, uh, net income and a million shares? You were at 10 PE. What if the company did a share buyback? Now, companies can issue dividends as a way to pay out uh, cash flows to investors, return of capital, right? They could also... Reinvested into the business, but they could instead of paying a dividend, they could buy back their own stock and reduce the float. That's uh, sort of like an augmented dividend, or it's a different way of returning capital to shareholders. There's obviously debates on those. I encourage you to to find the old episode I did: "Are share buybacks bad?" Question mark, where I went through all of that. But uh, reducing in our initial example, if let's say the company bought back. Uh, hundred thousand shares. So now on that same 10 million in net income, uh, what if the company only had instead of a million shares, they had 900,000 shares? Well what happens to the, the earnings per share? They go from 10 to 11.11 and then you know a bunch of numbers after that. So we'll just round to 1111 per share. And so the share count, if you have uh, you know buybacks, um, it's interesting though, it looks like the share count, caused negative 0.6% attribution to uh, to EPS. So it was actually a negative, and that could be companies issuing. Uh, they were net issuers of, of shares. So uh, we'll see what what happens with buybacks. So yeah, I mean, uh, if you're looking at S&P and you're looking at the earnings per share estimates, so what exactly are you trying to, to figure out here? Like, what's important to you? The first thing I would say is, um, and it's we talked earlier in the broadcast about how things probably have never been better for investors, and that's both on the the retail side and the institutional side, but you can look up, and there's many sources, to try and find what the S&P forward earnings estimates are. Uh, In fact, uh, I just Googled it now. And I found any number of sources that have not only you know, annual, but they actually have uh, the quarterly estimates as well. And so, for example, I found uh, it looks like this is from Yardini, it showed up just in a, a search. So, their 2021, their estimates are $46 a share for Q2. And then it uh, looks like the consensus uh, among the street is about 46.44. So, what are you looking for there? Well, you don't know what these quarters estimate or earnings are actually going to be, but you want to see, okay, do they outperform? Do they get to a higher number than that or a lower number than that? Remember, they're just estimates until they're actual. And so that that certainly is is something to to watch. And then if you want to drill down a little bit more, you can take a look at at margins profit margins you can look at revenues and you can look at uh, buyback um, some of some of the buyback stuff is going to be a little tougher for you to, to to look at but as you hear these earnings announcements come out remember they always highlight the top and the bottom line top line is revenue bottom line is net income per share or net net income and then typically you can uh, you can take a look into the announcement and see a little bit more And the other thing I would say to keep an eye out for is you can always be looking at, OK, what's the price of the S&P, the index I'm talking about. So uh, as I said, Friday was 4411. And then you can take a look at those, those estimates and you could do the math. Take the value of the index divided by the whatever year uh, the in, uh, income per share or earnings per share for the S&P. And you can figure out what the forward PE is. Uh, and if that's important to you or not, it's up to you. But uh, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, that people will be talking about. And so before we, uh, well, a couple more things. So people trying to figure out whether the market's too high, the market's too low. And I can't stress enough, this is the value of having real hedges in a portfolio, because it takes away some of the guesswork in trying to decide, okay, is the market too high? Should I wait? Uh, is the market too low? Should I, or, you know, should I buy now? Um, the other thing I would say is there are people who try and um, you know, put together, I shouldn't say try, um, really smart people put together different sorts of charts, and they look at P.E. ratios that we talked about, and they look at subsequent equity returns. So I've seen some where they have the forward P.E., Remember, we talked about taking the forty-four eleven, the price right now, or whatever it is, when you're listening to this, and dividing it by. You could do the, the last four quarters' actual earnings per share, and that would be the PE ratio on the S and P. Or you could do the next four quarters, the next year, whatever it is, and figure out what the forward PE is on it. And so I've seen data, and they'll plot the data, and they'll they'll go back, you know, uh, a number of years and they'll say okay when the forward pe is here and think about you know an xy graph with a scatter plot a regression and they'll say okay we're right here and the line would say all right well at this typically the average you know one year return at this at this uh, valuation is this the thing is there's something called an r squared and r squared is just a fancy way uh, of, of saying Hey, what's the the probability? And I'm I'm using the back of the the envelope definition here, but what's the probability that this is, you know, really really solid? And the R squared on that's only about 6%. It's better if you use a forward PE and you look at the subsequent 5-year annualized returns on the S&P 500 index including dividends and you say, "Okay, if we are at, you know, a 22 forward PE, uh, what are typically are the subsequent five-year annualized returns? That R squared is about forty-two percent. So much better than the six percent. Uh, but the point of me bringing this up is that if you could see what I'm looking at, you could see the scatter plot, especially the one year. Uh, the one year is is quite a, a dispersion, and I think it's important to to really focus on, you know, having. Just, you know, I, I hate to see a lot of people try and make guesses about where the market's going to go or listen to a lot of the noise out there because it's very easy to make predictions. But if you go back, imagine if you would have listened to expert A or expert B and sold everything and went to cash or, or bought in at some other time and, you know, leveraged and, and went on margin and stuff. You know, what happens when they're not Right. And so the point is, I think it's much more efficient, much, much better uh, to just build a, build something, build a portfolio that's really designed for you. And then, you know, as Jay Pastorcelli's book hints at, uh, CEO of Zega, buy and hedge instead of buy and hold, just be hedged. All right, so we'll leave it there. Please rate... Uh, Rather than rating and reviewing and starring and doing all that garbage, uh, go ahead and pass this episode or other episodes to uh, somebody else and maybe someone who's never listened to a podcast before. And I'd also encourage you to go back. You know, we have this would be 126 episodes that we have now. And I'm always amazed episodes I did a couple of years ago will all of a sudden out of the blue get a bunch of people listening. I think uh, one of the most popular ones I ever did was I did a companion episode to the big short where, you know, looking at the movie, but then explaining what the a credit default swap is. Uh, I think last time I checked, I don't check it that often, but uh, that probably was among the, the, the top few episodes as far as total listeners. And obviously, you know, cumulative listeners, obviously that came out several years ago. So we've had several years every week, you know, people are listening to it. But Uh, But I urge you to go back through the catalog now, and one of the goals is to do a lot of evergreen content, meaning stuff that if you you listen to it now, it still hopefully resonates and try and teach you a couple things. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week.